0: Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to Football Digest Extra Time with myself, Ned Keaton. I'm joined this week by Nathan Ridley of The Big Mirror. To look back on Manchester City's Champions League final success against Inter Milan and look ahead to England's World uh, not World Cup qualifiers. So I think this is the, the kind of weird season that we have been in and everything was around the World Cup, wasn't it? But no, it's Euro qualifiers now for England at least anyway. Um, but we'll come on to that in the second half of the show, by which point I should remember that it is the Euros and not the World Cup, as I tried to say there. Um, but anyway, Nathan, we'll talk about uh, Manchester City conquering Europe first, finally. Uh, a 1-0 win over Inter Milan in the final in Turkey on Saturday. Uh, in terms of the match itself, it wasn't Manchester City's best performance. I think everyone can, can you know, attest to that. And, and especially in the first half, they looked really laboured, really slow and kind of played into Inter Milan's hands, I thought, by they weren't moving the ball quick enough and they weren't, you know, we're kind of in that wasn't working and you've got someone like Erling Haaland in the box, you kind of think, why don't you whip a few balls in? They weren't, they didn't seem to be playing their fluid itself. Likewise, in the second half, they still weren't at their best, but Roger was able to get the goal to to kind of put this team in the annals of history. that the, They will now be regarded as one of the best club sides of all time because they've been able to achieve something in English football that only one other side has done and it happens to be their neighbours from the red half of Manchester.
1: Yeah, I felt it was like almost a certain irony in the way City performed. I think obviously it was the defining game in the 15 years of this, uh, this era that City have been in and they probably produced the most anti-Guardiola sort of type of performance in a big game. I, I think that maybe it comes down to how his Barcelona team played, especially when they played um, Man United at Wembley in 2011, that winning in style, it's just, that's the way he'll win a game. And I think we got a little bit of a hint with it with uh, the performance away at the Emirates uh, in February when City weren't at the best, but they were clinical in the second half. And almost felt like once it got to time at 0-0, Inter, although they hadn't had the shots at goal, Inter couldn't have performed much better. And it felt like if City got a grip of themselves in the dressing room had a word and if Guardiola tweaked uh, little things tactically that City had more to give. And, uh, you know, it still wasn't, you know, they were still far from the best in the second half, but they just took it up a notch and just cut out a little bit of sloppiness. Um, There was still some, obviously, threat there from Inter, uh, especially in the, the real dying embers. But, no, it was... um It was one of those. It it was not a performance to be remembered, but you know the last game of this mammoth season and to win this treble. I don't think any city fan have cared how other won. I think the fact that it got done in normal time was almost a bit, a little bit of a relief because it felt like it could be one of those nights where it goes the distance and Inter would sort of have it their way and then drag it out. But um, credit to them, they they did get over the line and uh, the history books will say one nil. Exactly. As you
0: said there, City fans won't care and, and the history books, when we look back on this in, you know, 20, 30 years time and we'll have a few more grey hairs between us, that it won't list the performance. The The, the history books won't say, oh, they, they, they didn't play as well as they could. It will just say that they won and they won the treble because of it. How do they compare, though, to the Manchester United side of 1999, the last English team uh, to, to do the trouble? I know we've had, you know, Bayern Munich have, have done similar, Barcelona as well, in their first season under Guardiola, that, that brilliant team in 2008, 2009, and then carrying that through into 2009 as well. I think winning six trophies in a calendar year, wasn't it, in the end? But where does this Manchester City side compare to Manchester United? That, that's where we are now. It's always going to be, I think, that comparison between them, you know, not just the fact that it's two English sides, but it happens to be two English sides from the same city as well. How would you, I know it's two different eras of football with two different styles of play. So, you know, if we put them out on the pitch, you know, we can't say, it's not like we can say who's going to win and who's going to come out on top. But in terms of the achievement, is it harder now? Has it been harder now for, for Manchester City to achieve it and perhaps when United
1: did or, I mean, how how do you perceive it? I'll have to caveat it first with the fact that I wasn't born in 99. That makes me feel very old now doing this. <laughs> I think it's, It's strange because it's difficult to compare, um, you know, modern football to football of, you know, sort of past times. And it always comes up with like Pele and Maradona to Ronaldo and Messi and things like that. You know, you can argue that the games, they are hard now, the intensity. It it seems like there's so much more that comes with being a top football team uh, in the world. You know, it's it's just a more difficult task. But at the other side of it, you know, in nineteen ninety-nine there wasn't the advances in football, in recovery, in nutrition, and that this Man United team just went, you know, hell for leather for that final period of the season because they didn't start the season the greatest, but the end of the season was I don't think a team has peaked. Although City are very good at peaking from March to May, which is crazy because that is when every other team drops off mentally, physically. The fact that they seem to not bide the time, but they seem to almost Want to want to attack it at that stage? That's when the actual sort of really get into gear that um, that they can impress. But and it happened again this year. But you don't know they will always be compared. And obviously the great English sides, the Liverpool in the 80s when they you know dominated Europe, the Chelsea sides that they've had. But I think City United, these two particular teams, they are the ones that you know as you say will be compared forever. I think that United stands as a sort of. A more unique achievement in that it almost wasn't supposed to happen. There's a feeling that City, that the odds should have been with them in every game. If you'd have told people at the start of April, Arsenal are gonna drop away. You're gonna have Sheffield United in the semi-final, and uh, you know a United side that's been indifferent towards the end of the season in the FA Cup final, and you're gonna play an Inter Milan side who, you know, they were excellent and they they are a good side. And and third place in Serie a is almost sort of a strange finish that they'll feel they should have done better this year. But on paper, it almost feels, not routine, but it felt like it almost should have happened. I don't think the treble, and obviously the, the circumstances of the penalty miss in, in the FA Cup semi-final, the Arsenal, Giggs's goal, the comeback in Barcelona, winning the title on the last day, just made it more dramatic and more on a knife edge. I can imagine it wasn't, the word treble wasn't in every single article from March onwards like it has been City. Uh, and it's one of those where United's achievement, I don't know how it was perceived immediately after in terms of will it ever be done again? Can anyone do it again? But City, they'll almost be thinking, why can't they go and win four next year? It just feels like very methodical and very clinical that almost this should have happened. So I think United stands as the more, as the more wowing achievement and being the first English side to do it. They'll always, we'll always have that tag. In
0: terms of City's achievements, though, as well, um, I do wonder if there's a bit of a, a kind of cloud that hangs over it, maybe an asterisk next to it, because of course we, you know, they've won the treble. Whilst there is outstanding charges from the Premier League against them for for breaching um, the the kind of financial rules, and until these are resolved, I suppose that that's the case for most fans that aren't from a City perspective. That they will, you know, un- until we know one way or the other as to whether or not you know the outcome of these charges, I suppose there is that feeling perhaps amongst the wider football fan base that there is a little bit of, not doubt, but definitely kind of, uh, uh, you know, as I said at, at the start of this this bit, that there's a bit of a black cloud that perhaps hangs over the achievements, which maybe United didn't have back in 1999 as well.
1: Yeah, there certainly is. And I think uh, it's difficult because it feels like a little bit of a rabbit hole currently. We don't know the sort of ins and outs of the investigation, how long it will take. The for investigation almost feels... Into the Champions League ban they had a few years ago feels a bit ominous. And I think fans are worried that it almost this investigation would get bogged down and we'll never know the details and it'll become so convoluted that the average football fan, they could end up with a fine or punishment. And I'm not sure if the average football fan will sort of, it, it'll ever get drawn out exactly what happened. We've seen obviously Chelsea with the sanctions against uh, Abramovich. I don't think that's tainted their era. But I think if you're actually using, you know, you're disrupting the financial sort of methods you should be using. Then, yes, you can take away what's happened on the training ground, the effort in the games, the skill, the talent of players. But to assemble the squad they have, to have everything in place behind the scenes, and like I said, to almost to have this treble is almost not the right outcome, but the sort of the almost feels correct that they should have ended up with a treble at some point. They should have ended up with the Champions League probably early. It just feels that. Unlike every other team who have to maybe restart every few years with changes of, you know, managers and things like that, the city have been set up so well. That's the that's the praise that I think a lot of people give them. The succession planning to get into Guardiola, the squad they've assembled, letting go of players at the right time, the right people in charge from the get-go in Mancini's area in, in Pellegrini's. I think that's what people praise them for. But if all those financial charts, you know, however many of them prove to be true, I think that disrupts the sort of impressiveness of what they've done because if that's been done the wrong way, then, you know, they would be perceived as they're cheated by doing it. You know, on the pitch they've stolen the games. But the setup of the club, which owners and, and things like that, I'll tell you that's that's that that's a hard thing to get right. It's not as easy as picking the best people to do jobs and, and looking at criteria and saying we'll get this guy in to run this aspect of the club. I think that's what'll be tainted and I think if that's, you know, if it does happen to be true, then yeah, you've got to you've got to put an asterisk next to it and you've got to say what happened. That's that's life, that's rules, and that's why that's why that's why they have to exist. Going back to to
0: the achievements now and the here and now as well, when you kind of mentioned it when you were comparing the sides between nineteen ninety nine and, and city side of, of this year about what's next for City. And you were saying that the idea is to win everything next year. Of course, you know, we we've seen all the memes and Southampton's former manager Nathan Jones is the bloke who stood between a potential quadruple uh, and and Manchester City even, you know, further immortalising themselves. But I suppose that's where you think this next logical step is, is to win the quadruple next season in terms of the trophies. Of course, it might not even be a quadruple, it might be a quintuple. Uh, I think if that's the right word, uh, if my English teacher listens to me, he's probably horrified right now if I've got that wrong. Um, but in terms of, you know, there's so many trophies, Community Shields chuck in there as well, Super Cup as well. It might even be seven that we're talking about, a Club World Cup as well. So that's where you think the next logical step is for Man City, complete and utter dominance that
1: no one else can ever match. Yeah, obviously that's the aim. That's the aim for everyone. I, it happens with club. I mean, look at Liverpool last year. It was going to be the quadruple and it was going to be this sort of... I think if Liverpool had won the league title last year, that changes the dynamic of... You know the the dominance of Guardiola winning far out of the last five, and and Liverpool sort of getting one over on them again. I, I think football changes so quickly. I mean, you know, look at look at Chelsea when they won the Champions League. A lot of people were tipping them for the league next year. Within twelve months, it had all fallen apart. So, but yes, yeah, City. There's a there's a feeling that City, they're hard to disrupt. That they they can't fold as easily because they've got so much in place. Of course, if Guardiola were to go, that would be a big loss. But He's got two years left on his contract, but I don't think anyone would believe that the City board just sat there enjoying watching Waddell and not thinking about his successor. As with players, I mean, look at Kevin De Bruyne, really bad hamstring tear. He, he is not going to be able to play the volume of games he did this year. I mean, he had to sit out some of the running. I mean, can you imagine if the title race had lasted a bit longer? City were rotating with the Champions League in mind, the FA Cup in mind. Then and you know their, their squad got them through, but if they were pushed harder like the United treble team were, would they have managed? And you've got to have fortune. I mean, it's no, it's not coincidence that you know when Liverpool won the Champions League, although they went very far in the Premier League and pushed City to the last day, they didn't win the league title and they weren't in the finals of other cups. And United in 2008, uh, they went out the FA Cup a little bit early. They were the last team to win the Champions League and the Premier League in the same season. It's very, very difficult, and I think that the pressure on these games it, it, the, you just have to be relying on luck. I mean, getting Southampton in the League of quarter final, you would argue that, that that was lucky, and that was that was a strange slip-up. But yeah, they'll eye everything next year, just as Barcelona did. But um, football, just the landscape changes so quickly, and and the dynamic of things at City, although it always seems calm, you know, if these charges come up, this, how soon the punishment is. Um, players, you know, once they've won the Champions League, does that does that change the hunger in players? Does that does that make next season strange and that City fans aren't looking at it thinking, Will this be the year? It almost will the European Cup be as important to them uh, when it gets down to the wire. You just don't know. So um yeah, they'll be aiming for domination, but it never works that way. And I, I can't see them I can't see them ever getting to five or six trophies in a season. Or at least I hope not for, for the rest of England. <laughs> Well, that comes nicely onto my next comment that there is some, uh, you know, shoots of positivity
0: for rivals at least anyway of Manchester City. That there might be a bit I hope. They might have, now that they've conquered it all. Um, aside from the Club World Cup, perhaps maybe maybe once they win that, that the kind of hunger goes. But that that's the fear as well for these, you know, rivals that City have now. They've kind of got to their Everest. They've got to the peak of what they wanted to achieve. Um, you know, it sounds weird, but the Club World Cup doesn't obviously carry that same gravitas as the Champions League does even though you become world champions you know there's kind of more weight more pressure on, on winning the champions league but what hope for for rivals you know domestically as well and perhaps in in terms of europe that they have broken that duck in europe now that they have got that kind of uh weight off their shoulders they have won the european title it's not as you said they you know kind of um uh, you know what it means to them now going forward as well there isn't as much pressure like, well, okay we've won one and i'm not saying that that means that they're going to stop at one they want two three four five but the first one's always the hardest to win, but in terms of rivals today, yeah, can anyone catch them next year in the Premier League? Is in in short,
1: I think someone can. I'm not, sure, you know, I'm not sure if they will or, or you know, it is possible because, you know, look at the start of last season. I think a lot of people were tipping City for a stroll to the title at the start of last year, and then Liverpool went on this incredible run where they sort of gathered all the almost. It felt like they were absolutely full pelt. in order to push City and uh, the confidence could have been higher. They couldn't have been playing any better. Um, And it can happen. I mean, it wasn't long ago when, if you said, if you predicted that City would win the league over Arsenal, people were just saying that, you know, you're not being fair on Arsenal. So it can happen. And I I think Guardiola, with how much he values the Premier League, I mean, because he said, whether it's just because he's done better in it than the Champions League, he said how much he he thinks the Premier League is the absolutely. The pinnacle, and that is what you sh- you want to be defined by. The fact that no one has won four Premier League titles in a row, I think, and and Man United being the team that have won three on two occasions, I think that'll put that'll be his hunger to get. Um, you know, uh, he's a very he's a he's a particular guy that'll be desperate to win the League Cup because he'll think that you know that was what stopped us last year, and you know they've they have only won two FA Cups under him. The FA Cup almost was was a little bit of a I think that they couldn't win. So it'll be interesting to see how he approaches it. I mean, if he's got two more years left, how does he treat next year? Does he treat next year by refreshing the squad so that he has a strong final last year? Does he squeeze the most out of Walker, De Bruyne uh, and these these older players? And, you know, that'll all be that'll all be something that they've been thought of in the background because as much as he says he doesn't want to talk about next season, Guardiola have had to be thinking about it uh, because now for them, with going to, June tenth, uh, the final, then you know it's not gonna be long until they'll come around. So in terms of teams who can do it, I think Liverpool Liverpool will be hopeful because they've you know they've done it before and they will say that they've sort of got they've had the sort of experience of doing it. Man United a few fans might think could it be another year too early, depending on how this summer goes for them. Um Chelsea should be stronger, Tottenham should be a little bit stronger, but I don't think they'll be in the conversation. But um in the end, yeah, Arsenal. I think it would be harsh to say that Arsenal would improve overall, but to race to fifty points the way they did, uh, to be so good, to, to to play so well as well, and the feeling at the Emirates, it was such a a boost. You know, how will the fans react next year when they win in a few games in a row? Will it be that same euphoria? Will it push them on? How will Arteta deal with Europe? Um, so I think I think a sensible head would say it would be Arsenal, Man City again, but there is so much to go this summer. Uh, you just don't know.
0: Nathan, as you said there, um, the club season has only just finished. Uh, June 10th, one of the longest club seasons that we know. Uh, of course, that was in part down to the World Cup taking place mid-season last year. Um, and yet, yet, we've still got some games to go in this season before it's all done. We've got a couple of uh, Euro 2024 qualifiers for England away to Malta on Friday. Uh, it gets North Macedonia at home on Monday. In terms of the players and how long this season has been, I suppose that this is exactly the last thing that most of them would have wanted. I know they love representing their country, and it's great to pull on the shirt. But they'd all have loved to have been, you know, sunning themselves, especially the West Ham and Manchester City players um, that are involved in these internationals as well to be playing up until June 10th. To now have these two international friendlies, and as you say, there, you know, July is only just around the corner when traditionally pre-season starts. I know, obviously, the, you know, these bigger teams will factor that in, and, and certain players will, will return later than others. But they could, um, yeah. These are these are two games that you know a lot of players around Europe could probably do without. Not just in the Premier League, but we're talking about you know pretty much every other big league and and those big nations in Europe could do without these games this summer.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's always a strange international break this one because uh, I mean it's easy to forget for you know England fans, but there's the uh, Nations League finals to take place, and I honestly think that you know as much as it's not a major competition, anyways, I think this year more than ever it's probably been forgotten about. Um, but yeah, for England's sake, I mean the nature of the games as well, Malta and North Macedonia. Although North Macedonia are stronger than what they've, the, what they'll be perceived as when they come to Old Trafford. They've had some great results in the in recent years. I think that the, the the games on paper, yes, they're not enticing, and you know what what will be learned from them and things like that. It's that's the tricky thing for Southgate, and it's a shame when. Like Lewis Dunk, arguably, the, along with uh, Eberichi Eze, the sort of name that stands out, that he had to pull out the squad. And you have these players that have played for so long, monotonously, all season, uh, and they've got to play these two games that you would say they don't need to play in as such. But that's that's one of Southgate's most important jobs, create a camp where the England players will enjoy going when it is arduous. I mean, we know the marching to gets hammered every year Because it comes in the tightest schedule, there's always injuries at that time of year. Either players are pulling out because they don't want to um, upset the clubs, or there's debate over who should go. And or we've got this game and the tightness of games and in South America. I mean, we're lucky in Europe in that the short the shortness of travel. I mean, South American players. You're talking time differences. You're talking flying back home and and different weather and all all that sort of stuff that we probably don't consider. But these games, yeah, it's and it it possibly frustrated for the almost the fan in that. Maybe this is why people can get into England apart from major tournaments, is because there is so many games that people will see "As, oh, I can't bother watching England Malta tonight, or oh, we'll we'll win anyway." I look on, we've won four 0 or whatever, something like that. That and every country deals with it. France, Germany, they, they all have these games where people won't um, won't appreciate, you know, just that they are in you know, an international game of football a big honour. But yeah, the players. I think the professional love to know that this happens every year and it's, it's, it's part of the job description. But um, yeah, it kinda, can sort of take the, take the excitement out of international football and that's why it seems to get bashed a lot. So away from FIFA, um, they're probably their own worst enemies in that respect.
0: In terms of the players as well. So of course, um, you know, Gareth Southgate said that he won't Play those that featured in the in the Champions League final. I think the Europa Conference League final as well. he might he might you know have a special exception for Calvin Phillips because he didn't play too much match in the in in uh, City's running. So you never know. He might make an exception for him. But for others, you know, you Jordan Pickford, you Jordan Henderson, you Harry Kane, you Kieran Trippier's. Um, they've not played since the Premier League season's finished. but the time that that game takes place against Malta, that's almost three weeks. That's three weeks without a game. I'd argue that some of those have probably been on holiday in that time as well. So in terms of, I'm not saying that they go on holiday in Gorge and all the all-inclusive buffets and they just lie in the sand matches all day. Of course, they would have kept themselves in shape and and whatnot, had they been away. But in terms of their match fitness and their match sharpness, it's stopped and now it's starting for two games and then it will stop again and they'll go back into to pre-season. So again, for the players from that perspective, for the ones that haven't been playing in these finals, that, that won't have played for almost three weeks by the time the, the Malta game comes around, Again, this is this is far from ideal time for them as as they're looking to kind of try and start next season strongly in good physical shape as well.
1: Yeah, it comes at a little bit of an awkward time because you have got to leave that room for the finals and, and European football and and things like that. But in a way, I mean, it's not like the the days of old where footballers would have six weeks off, go on the drink, eat, and then just come in and basically kill their own bodies for six weeks in order to get fit again. There are you know these players are on constant plans, nutrition, things like that, but. You know, I guess there's a, a bit of a silver line that some players like a Pickford can almost say, well, the three weeks before, yes, you've got to keep yourself in shape for England, but Gareth Southgate will appreciate that they need a break, you know, mentally more than more than anything. Um, but maybe you can treat this camp as a little sort of mini pre-season before the start, because a lot of players in that situation, I mean, yes, <laughs> they have the funds to holiday forever, but they will have been on the sort of main holidays and... You know, they'll be getting messages from managers and players, right? We're doing this in pre season and it'll come quickly back, uh, back to, back to normal day to day life. So I think that some players, obviously, it's more important to some players than others, of course. I mean, Eberich a must be chomping at the bit. I mean, ever since he got the call up, that'll have become his priority. Whereas Kyle Walker was getting interviewed the other night and he's, he's talking about, uh, Having all sorts to drink, and then just uh, you'll see Southgate in a few days. So it is hard the sort of uh, dynamic, but I mean it's just like Malta's players. Maltus players. This will be the biggest game of their season, regardless of club and things like that. So it's balancing all that. Um, it's Southgate being around. You know, will it be a camp that it, I don't think he'll be hands on? Players will need times to themselves. That they're flying away. They've, they've been with clubs all year. Uh, they'll want a bit of a break. And as you say, the players that played in Europe. Um, they're not, you know, you're not going to be on as stringent program at St George's Park. Uh, you will have a bit of downtime and working like that. In there's always other factors that you have to um, involve and the staff and all sorts. So, yeah, I think it's a it's a big team effort in terms of getting prepared for it. But yeah, it can be frustrating for for some players, but um, for others, they'll uh, their, their eyes are light up with the prospect of uh, playing for England. But in terms.
0: Of as a name that you've mentioned a couple of times already. Um, you know, for him, he'll be buzzing, he'll be excited. But you look at those uh, you know, midfielders, especially for the Malta game. So again, possibility that Declan Rice may or may not play, um, because obviously being in action in the Europa Conference League and, and celebrating that. And then I think Pablo Four his wedding was was over the weekend as well. So the state E might be and might not be uh, ideal. So again, South might want to give him time to rest properly. Um Drew Bellingham pulling out as well. You look at the midfield options that remain chances are Eze may well start against Malta, And this is a big opportunity for him, isn't it? To really showcase what he can do. I remember watching him. Uh, I was covering QPR at the time when he made his breakthrough there. And he was one of these players that you just had. You just had your eyes on him at all times. You didn't know what was coming next. You know, even as a even as a teenager coming through the ranks that you just kind of, even in the press box, you'd see people getting out of their seats because he he does that. He's that exciting kind of player. And he could be the kind of, player that maybe England haven't had since perhaps, you know, Deli Alley in, in that respect of where he was coming through and could travel with the ball and could take it forward from midfield. I know Drew Bellingham's very good at that as well he, and, and will possibly uh, feel that role, I think, going forward. But likewise with Eze, he has that ability to be exciting and to really kind of, for England fans who may not have seen much of him playing for, for Crystal Palace this season, they're, they're going to get a real opportunity to see an absolute live wire of a player, hopefully.
1: Yeah, it's huge for him. And it's 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 great with the fact that he had such a heartbreaking time with his call up uh, in that preliminary Euros squad, uh when he got the injury. you know, I think I think it was that he came back into the dressing room uh after training when he'd been injured, he'd found out we'd got the call. Um uh, yeah, I think it's a great chance for him. And it, as I, every player when they get the first day, deb- you know, the debut's under Southgate and he's given plenty of them and he's been better than previous England managers at respecting other clubs lower down the Premier League and giving chances and, and being rewarding of that. I mean, some critics would argue that he's become a little bit more favourable to players, but I think that happens with every manager who's been in a job uh, for, for as long as he has. But yeah, I think the chance to see something exciting, England are going to have a lot of possession in both games. But that's But And again, that's the duality with international football is that these type of games, England dominate possession, there's so much emphasis on the onus is on you. The opposition isn't really focused on it. You know, a player can really can really impress uh, with the, the nature that you know you're going to be in a dominant team. You're you're in a steady sort of setup, and if you're a new player, you can benefit from having these experienced internationals around you. That Ezek can really, you know, if he's playing in the midfield with a Declan Rice, who you know these games won't phase him. Ezek, and I maybe mean, that'll help settle him and stuff like that. I think. Yeah, and it is, but it's also hard for Southgate to judge because, you know, when the France World Cup quarterfinal is just a world away from these qualifying games, and qualifying has to happen, and there will always be debate about you know the nature of them. But someone like as a just as a James Madison would impress in friendlies, and we've seen it before with before every major tournament, there's always a player impressing, and they get a call up, and you think, wow, he was brilliant, but ultimately. Southgate will maybe go for a Mason Mount or someone a bit trusted. It's difficult to get in the side. You probably need, with Southgate and Deschamps at France as well, he's similar. You need almost a year of constant call ups, and probably as much you've got to impress on the training ground because, you know, the games can be a bit deceiving. So for Eze, he's just got to, even if he were not to perform well, you know, don't be too down about it. Don't be, don't put so much pressure on the one game. It's going to have to be a consistent thing. You can't just, play well against Malta and think, well, he'll be in the next England camp because that's not how it works. Southgate is, you know, he, the England team, the the coaching staff, they'll watch so many games. You've got to keep impressing. So I think that, you know, he doesn't have to have the most amazing of games to prove himself for England. It's about that consistency and, and what he does uh, in the September round of games, October and things like that. So, so yeah, it'll be good for him. And the midfield, yeah, it does, it does present an opportunity. It's It's interesting whether it'll go with you know, does he have? Does he flirt with the idea of John Stones in there with Noah Bellingham? You wouldn't say him and John Stones are the same player, but that ability to carry the ball, the strength on the ball, the sort of um, physical profile as well—is it something he can do? I mean, he's tried Alexander Arnold in midfield, and that was—that was a long time ago. Now it feels that, that he's hes looked beyond that, but he might try it again. And you know, with Declan Rice, you know, yes, he's—he'll ever—he will be an ever-present for them for England for the next few years, but he might sit out against Malta uh, and even against North Macedonia. So there's gaps to be filled there and maybe not in players' normal positions, you know, Eze, whether it be in the centre, out wide, a little bit deeper. um, There's just opportunities up for grabs. Just finally on England before we go this morning,
0: um, in terms of the two matches, I suppose the expectation is uh, another two wins, another giant stride towards the Euros. Uh, I know... England have played North Macedonia twice at home and they've not beaten them yet. Gareth Southgate is at pains to stress that when uh, he announced the squad. But there's, you kind of expect England to get two wins in this. And of course, I think I was looking at it where they've got six points on the board already, another six points here. I think in this group, 15 will probably, I mean, it will probably even be less than that, but 15 is the absolute, probably maximum is what you need to, 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 to qualify for Germany. And of course, England win the two games here if they were to win them. On twelve points, they just need probably one win from those final four games. So this is another big opportunity. Having started so well in qualifying for England, to, to motor on now hopefully towards Germany next summer.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think one thing Southgate has been exemplary at, and Roy Hodgson was good at it too. And, and previous managers, the, the qualifying stages they've been so efficient, and and they know which games to target. When you know when we'll get these amount of points, and 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 what we need. You know what's enough to qualify. I am actually the one thing I am old enough to remember when uh, the Croatia game, you know, it wasn't so long ago that even with the golden generation, they didn't manage to qualify for Euros. And yes, it's expanded now and the qualifying is slightly different, but it is a task and it, it it's a task motivating players, you know, because you are, as England, you are playing against these countries that it's, you know, to play, yes, it's Old Trafford on Monday, but to play against England in England, it's such an opportunity for them. People, you know, players are playing out of the skin, playing the hearts out because it's such a, you know, can be the biggest night of some players' careers. Can you imagine if Malta were to take the lead against England, the player who scores that goal, it'll be in you know folklore. So every country's like that, and, and you know, Southgate will be targeting two wins. And as much as, as I alluded to before, people can maybe look at the phones, look at the highlights, and think, "Oh, that was easy." It's difficult, and yes, we judge Southgate by major tournaments, things like that, but. This is his nitty-gritty, this is his day to day. It's preparing for these games and and managing the the one week camp and what the player's gonna get out of it. And, you know, six points is the cherry on top. There's so much more work that he'll go through on the training ground, behind the scenes. Um so yeah, it can be. It'll be, you know, six points is the rewarding part for Southgate, but uh but, yeah, it's all about getting to that Euros. And if it is to be his last tournament, then he'll wanna quite qualify comfortably and and minimise uh as much negativity as possible uh, and not have a summer like we saw last summer although uh, harder opposition but it was strange when england went on that run with with no win no competitive wins uh going into the world cup people argue it didn't really matter in the end but there was a huge wave of negativity going into that and i think southgate will maybe long for the days where uh by october qualifying's wrapped up nathan
0: thanks so much for joining us this morning really appreciate your time as always uh, of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest from Manchester City's European celebrations, uh, as well as England's Euro qualifiers and, of course, the return of the transfer window across the Daily Star, Daily Mirror and Daily Express websites. But for now, it's goodbye.